gonna name two? Yeah, both yeah, of you did. Yeah, but did you change it? No, we have Cassie Lord in my phone. That's not even still my name. Oh, <laughs> no, it's not your fucking name. It's fine. I'll answer to it. I answered to right? it for like 25 years. Oh, yeah, you're years. still Cassie Lord. <laughs> cool. I told you I had someone recently who was like, what's Cassie's last name? And I was like, Lord? Oh, wait, that's not right. She's been married. You've been fucking engaged. Your anniversary, engagement anniversary was like two days ago. Okay. Why do you know that? Because it popped up on my Facebook memories. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, and I was going to be like, happy engagement anniversary, but I forgot. It Thanks. was like yesterday or the day before. Hmm. When you guys got engaged, like, I don't know, three years ago, four years ago? When was that? Probably three. I have four. lost track of three. time. Three. Three. Oh, yeah, our anniversary's coming up. Yes. Look at this goddamn monkey. Does he look creepy? Yeah. He looks like um no no. Give it back. Let me see huh. again. I can tell you exactly who it looks like. Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> he has wow. no nose. What is it? This abundant f- the abundant fur on this young monkey will gradually change color. I don't give a fuck. What is it? A monkey. All right. Anyways, what were we talking about? Um we started out because Britney Spears. Oh, right. There has right. been some drama between her and Jamie Lynn because Jamie Lynn released her tell all book and apparently it's all lies. And she's just been calling her out on Instagram constantly. Wait, Jamie Lynn Spears wrote a book? She wrote a I book. I doubt it. And it, apparently it was. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure somebody wrote it for her. I'm certain of that. Yeah. What are they called? Ghostwriters? Whoever the fuck. Okay, so uh, r- there was, I guess, a rumor that initially the book was supposed to be called "I Must Confess," which is a Britney Spears lyric, which is like rude as hell. Up. Um, now it's called um, "Things I Should Have Said," but apparently, again, it's still all lies. So Britney has been like getting snippets of it, I guess, and just like calling out all her bullshit. And this apparently, it just became woman. a bestseller. Um, and I was on TikTok the other day and they were like, LOL, it's already 30% off. And I'm like, they do that with all books coming out. Any you know, new book Cassie, that is released. Tell them. Tell librarian TikTok. Look, <laughs> I did. I said, <laughs> any new, it, it, they do it with music too. Any music or media that is coming out gets discounted immediately. So, so the that sales go up. Stay up. That's, yeah. mm-hmm. that's common fucking sense. But people on the internet don't have that. Anyway, um, so Britney Including Spears. Including you assholes. If, um, that's why they're here. <laughs> no, not you. You guys are the shit. What is what? Who is gargling? That was Jacob. <laughs> oh, was I, I didn't hear it. Did you hear it? Yeah. I also have my headphones turned way down because you screamed once, like <laughs> a couple of episodes ago. So now I'm like, never yeah. again. So if you follow Britney Spears on Instagram, you can get all the tea. It's where I've been finding all of my information. But basically, she's saying that the timing of her book was unbelievable. Nobody in the world had a clue what you were really doing to me. Everybody like she Jamie Lynn said she didn't know what was going on with Britney and Britney's like, yes, you did. You were writing a book about it. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. She's like, congrats on the bestseller. I'm not surprised because basically it has. Yeah, because it's another person in her family using her to make a fuckload of money. Yeah, I feel said, so bad for her. Like, that's really just the direct quote. I wish the almighty Lord would come down and show you his whole world that you're lying and making money off me. You are scum, Jamie Lynn. And lay the smack man. down on your candy ass. That's <laughs> bull, Dude, they could have a fucking career in WWE right, right that's now. That's true. Yeah, they could be that divas. That is the perfect fucking culmination to this whole feud is for her 
to, I mean, because Britney Spears could beat someone's ass. I would love to see that. She's fit as fuck. So if they both, if they carry the storyline over to wrestling and then Jamie Lynn and they have to have like a sister feud and then like their dad comes in and is like, I'm on team Jamie because she was named after me. And then Vince McMahon comes in and just beats their asses. (laughs) Both of them. Or the dad beats up the dad. Yeah. Or whatever. Because he's on Britney's side. Because Britney's the moneymaker. Yeah, and he's the moneymaker. Or his son Shane is. I don't fucking remember. Anyways, we need to look out and see if there are more wrestling matches going on. Um, Mike actually tagged us in a post because uh, Weird Al's coming to our area Mm -hmm. on his little tour. And he was like, does my podcast team. (laughs) And I said, oh, Jake's got front row seats for that. I do. Yeah. What? Yeah, we we got him front row seats for Christmas. Aw. Yeah, it was a present. So, like, I don't want to be rude, but are you going to take me or are you going to take, like, someone else? <laughs> I haven't they're, decided they're your yet. your tickets. <laughs> so, I didn't want to say, because I typed it out and I was like, oh, yeah, we've got front row tickets. And I was like, I don't have shit. I'm just assuming that he might take me, but he also might not. He might take somebody Home else. Home girl going to so go? Jake Maybe. does have a girlfriend. Surprisingly. Right. No, just Yeah, kidding. it is. No, it's surprisingly. <laughs> Yeah, but she's never experienced Weird Al before, so that would be. Uh, no, she saw him at the uh, uh, in Richmond when they he played oh. with the. Uh... Oh, so she was at the same concert as us, because we went to that one. Yeah, all four of us did. Oh, she was. Oh shit! Wow. That was a long time ago. That was a couple years <laughs> I ago. Met, I think no, I rode with you, didn't I? Deanna was no. there. My friend Deanna came to that. Remember, she Deanna yeah. got a seat next to us. Your girlfriend was there. I forgot that. You guys have been together for a long time. That was a long time ago. A couple wow. years. I'm surprised you, gotta, you can hold down a girlfriend for that long. You got to pull your mic up out of the yeah, stand. Yeah, there's something going on. It's it's Ugh. fall. The the feet have fallen down. That's why it's all wobbly and oh. shit. Oh no! <laughs> 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 Technical difficulties. Please stand by. We're still figuring out the issue. Please stand by. Cassie! What? Do you need my help? She I got your laptop. Ah, <laughs> no, I think you found a new career. Oh. You can be like an I'm elevator. The new voice of Alexa. You can be an elevator lady. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alexa. Or like one of those. The sexy Alexa. Um, Selexa. What is it? Artificial intelligence. I'll just tell you dirty jokes. You can be an artificial intelligence voice because oh all of your inte- intelligence is like fake. It's oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Joaquin Phoenix will then fall in love with me <laughs> uh, I did just watch Walk the Line the other day or most of it I fucking love him I love Joaquin Phoenix did you Phoenix. watch her it was weird I did watch part of that did I think you I watch fell the Joker it. movie it's yeah so I watched good. it I fucking love him that's wow. the only superhero movie I will give the time of day because he's in it. <laughs> That's was fair. that technically a superhero movie? Whatever. It's I mean, a, it was in the universe. Book. It's a comic yeah. book movie. Okay. I don't if watch they that don't shit. match that God up with... God damn it. I can't get my fucking <laughs> microphone. I'm trying to line it up so that I can see both of you and also my Take computer a... screen. How have I done this for four seasons and I can't figure it out today? That's Why do you think I'm always moving my microphone? <laughs> this is why I bring paper, not a laptop. That's my problem. All right. Okay. Hold on. I think I've... Anyway, if they don't link the new Joker or the Joaquin Phoenix Joker to the new Batmans with Robert Pattinson, I'm going to be upset. Hold on. I'm going over. How do I? Okay. This is where I want to sit. But this is right in your face. So I can't. Ah, yes. Extend that arm. What are you? Oh, God damn it. Use it. No, no. That's not where I thought you were going with it. Your your intelligence is also artificial. (laughs) 
Uh, true. Oh, there we go. That's great, Jake. You should be a roadie. Mal, what are you doing here? Is this tight? Oh, oh, I'm loosening it. I'm a fucking idiot. Righty tidy. That's it. Until uh, it turns into righty okay. Lucy. Righty Lucy, lefty tidy. That sounds right. Now this needs to be tightened. All my shit's loose. You better get it tight. It's all those animals you right? took. Get, get it, it right. Get, get it tight. Shut up, Jake. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> what did he? He said it's all those enemas you took. <laughs> they were colon cleanses. Oh, that, all right. <laughs> did you just call him an asshole? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm not an asshole. I do have one. Apparently, it's loose. <laughs> get it right. Get it tight. Did we just say that? Yeah. All right. Oh my God. Speaking of assholes, um, that's not really a great. Segment. I was like, why are you looking at me? Um. Please help. Speaking of assholes, we you should get assholes. to our story. But... No, we shouldn't. Oh. I still had things that I actually wanted to talk about, right. but we've been so derailed for the last nine minutes. That's good. Um, that I'll, cut big some intros. Of, I'll cut some of it out, but I still have shit to talk about. Anyways. Okay. okay so for the month of January, thank you guys for listening to us because we're not even, as we record this right now, it's going to come out in February, but we're recording it in January at the end. Um, already this month, we are 300 downloads more than our best month ever, which is fucking awesome. So thanks for participating in the debut of season four, because this is our best month yet. And it's really exciting. <clears throat> Shout out to Dave Thompson. Thanks for subscribing to our Patreon. <laughs> and also, um, yeah, you guys should do the same thing. Patreon.com slash death by podcast team. Also, Monica and Jason, what's up, my babes? They actually texted me mm-hmm. uh, and like sent me a message and were like, hey, you can make us Thai coconut curry soup anytime you want. Ugh. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I will. It was so good. She didn't remember the soup. I'm going to fucking do it. No, I still have a little bit in the freezer. But anyways, it's probably I'll eat it still. Um. They were like, you can come make that for us anytime. That would be sick. And I was like, yes, absolutely, I will. But like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And they were they were on a road trip and they listened to that episode where you assholes uh. were not <laughs> accepting of my soup when I was like, I made dinner. Do you want me to bring you some dinner? And Cassie was like, there's too many vegetables. And Jake was like, oh, I already ate. And I she have named leftovers. like six different types of pepper. I was like, Mm-mm, no there thanks. Was, it was a red pepper. That's that too was many. It. <sighs> okay, it's not six. Also, um, at the time that we are recording this, we only have put out Black Metal Part 1. So Part 2 is coming out for us in the future. But for you, it's already come out. Anyways, I consulted a Black Metal fan um, who's a friend of mine and had him listen to the episode. Mm -hmm. He's not just a fan. He's literally in a Black Metal band. And um, was like, listen to this. Be nice. To us, <laughs> although we shit on you, <laughs> we, we talked so much shit yeah, about we black metal did. fans. And I was like, but please be kind uh, and tell us your feedback. <laughs> but anyways, he listened to the whole first part and said that um, it was all correct. So that's good. Because I was like, I re-listened to it and was like, what if we fucked all of this up? <laughs> what if we have no idea what we're talking about and we sound like fucking idiots? Um, but so far, no hate. And even somebody from your little community of nerds has approved it. So thank oh, you. Cool. 
Yeah. Awesome. Even though he was like, um, you just straight up called black metal fans nerds. And I was like, I mean, yeah, I was like, buckle up, bitch, because there's more <laughs> where that came from. If you're going to get through this whole I mean, episode. We were woo. wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was like, there's a whole more another episode where that came from, too. So. To listen to all our other episodes where we call everybody else nerds, too. Right. Yeah, I was like, no, no offense, but like also you kind of are. So... It'll be it's fine. like people that watch football. They're nerds, too. Yeah, I don't. Well, I I was like, going to say I don't hate you. If I think you're a nerd, that doesn't mean I hate you. But football fans, I kind of do fucking hate. So <laughs> if you listen to black metal and I call you a nerd, that doesn't mean that I hate you. Yeah, we, we're, we, we never I don't think we ever really. Not. Yeah, we never really use that as a derogatory term. It's just. Right. Yeah. We're not in elementary school. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I appreciated. You got the all the answers feedback. on the test. You're a nerd. <laughs> well, now we have to go completely 180 from black metal. So, um, yeah. This, the reason why some black metal may exist, actually. Oh yeah, you did say <laughs> I that. I think didn't I you? said that after we started research for this one. Jake was like, "This chick is the reason why. This is why metal is a thing because <laughs> part, she's people, part people of, like this." Yeah. But oh, I guess we had to tell them who we are and why they're here, right? Yeah, fourteen <laughs> minutes why in. Any yeah, of us here? holy shit! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Death by Music podcast. And we've Dude, got do, another do. story. It's about Leslie Gore. Yeah, I don't know. That was terrible. <laughs> That's okay. a Cut. sunshine lollipops and fucking rainbows. Oh, that was I couldn't it. tell. Sorry. I am Jake here with Cassie and Alex. On uh, the current episode we are doing is about Leslie Gore, one of the earliest. Uh, female teen idols yeah i would say i would say so too yeah especially mm-hmm. in the pop world first which sure. was a uh, pretty pretty new back then we are covering a feminist and lgbtq icon as suggested by victoria who is my sister who designed her website um leslie gore defied the odds in her career which was at its height in the 1960s so Leslie rose to fame with some like teeny bop kind of hits about Judy and Johnny, which we'll get to. But later, she used her platform to support social causes for the gay community and for women. Many people looked at her musical career, uh, at least the peak of it, as juvenile and short-lived. But Leslie came back powerful and grown up. While she wasn't one of the most outspoken musicians in support of gay rights, she and her partner did not pretend to be anything than what they were, and they supported the movement both financially and philosophically. There are so many sources for this article. I yeah, mean, this, it this was a lot. Thing. This is probably the most sources that we've used, I think. Um, Wikipedia, the New York Times, Lois Sasson, Quiet Force in the Gay and Women's Rights, Dies at 80 by Neil Genslinger. Mm-hmm. NewYorkTimes.com, MakingQueerHistory.com, Leslie Gore, the Jewish feminist lesbian pop star ahead of her time by Amy Solitsky. We've used her before. Yes, that name is definitely familiar. Leslie Gore, teenage hit singer, become or became gay rights activist. I can't even speak. Remembering Leslie Gore, a lesbian icon. That was by BuzzFeed. Mm-hmm. A&E biography, Leslie Gore, It's Her Party. Yes, it is. Uh, the New York Times, Finding the Right Products for Famous Names by... S- what? <laughs> by Sandra... Finding S- the Products for Famous Names. Oh. Right, by Sandra Salmons. Uh, An Evening with Leslie Gore and Anthony DeCurtis, 92. Um, NPR article by Nita Ulibe. You Don't Own Me, a Feminist Anthem with Civil Rights Roots. It's all about empathy. Cool. So... Now, 
Let's start. Leslie Gore was born Leslie Sue Goldstein in Brooklyn, New York, to Leo Goldstein and Ronnie Gore on May 2nd, 1946. Wait, her mom's name was Leo? Maybe she took her mom's last name. Her father, Leo. Yeah, she took her mom's last name because feminism. Okay. They were a middle class Jewish family. Her father, Leo, owned a children's swimwear underwear manufacturer called Peter Pan, then later became a lead brand licensing agent in the apparel industry. I, I think they took the name Gore to avoid oh, yeah. anti-Semitism oh. stuff because yes, their last name was Goldstein. Yeah, that okay, that makes sense. I think it may have been more than kids' clothes that they made. Um, according to my sources while researching this, Peter Pan was known more for bras, uh, girdles, and swimsuits, of which you can find old ads on the Googler. Hmm. Uh, he basically... He was basically the middleman that connected designers to manufacturers. So he wasn't like making them or or designing them or anything. He's just a middleman. Before going into the clothing business with his brother-in-law, Leo had studied dentistry. They raised Leslie and her brother Michael in New Jersey, where she attended the Dwight School for Girls in Englewood. According to her mother, Ronnie, Leslie started to sing when she was about six months old and would hum whatever tune she heard on the radio. At age three, she started playing the Wait, family. Wait, hmm. what the? F- at six months, she was humming songs? To I the mean, music. Maybe not like directly imitating the music, but yeah. when she heard music, okay. she'd be like, hmm, 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 hmm. I don't know how babies work. So that I just don't seems, either. That seems really impressive that, <laughs> that she would. Yeah. Okay. At age three, she started playing the family's record player, knew all the albums by the color of the labels, and learned all the words before she ever learned to read. Damn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Leslie recalls spending hours with her dad making recordings with a machine he had bought that made tiny records. And I tried to look up info on this machine, but I could not find anything. So maybe some of you you old tech savvy people out there might know what it is because I couldn't find anything on they it. They didn't say like with a it, brand it didn't, or No, anything? it didn't say specifically. It was in the, the huh. Annie biography uh, video that I watched. And That's they cool. just said he had a machine where they made tiny records little records about the time her brother michael was born in 1950 they had moved into their home in tenafly located just outside of new york city it's described like a typical 1950s style hood where the women stayed home and the men traveled into the city to work anyways their parents seemed to have an appreciation for music and wanted their kids to be exposed to what new york had to offer michael tells a story where uh, when he was 10 where their parents snuck them into a midnight Ella Fitzgerald nice. show wow. at, uh, I think it's Basin Street East, under their mother's mink coat. Oh my God, they did the fucking thing <laughs> where they kids stack all the kids up in their trench coat. Kids in a trench coat. How did they not see all their feet? I uh, I don't know. That is it was a long coat. Yeah. It touched the floor. That's or she was very short. Could have been. I don't know. <laughs> Imagine like the girth. Yeah, like walking yeah, into like a two doorway. kids underneath your coat. Or like they probably, I don't know if you did this, but when I was a kid, hang I would on to one leg. On, yeah, yeah, latch onto one leg. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool yep. that they did that. They were like bringing their kids in, and you have to be in really tight with your kids to be able to do that too. To be like, hey, we're gonna do this thing, and it's us versus the man. So just like shut the fuck up. Yeah, and like we'll get into this concert. <laughs> just like hide with me. We got this. And then your kids are like, yeah. Yeah, and they're your friend, you know? The Gores had taken Leslie to see her first Broadway show, My Fair Lady, at about the age of 12. Leslie was blown away, enjoyed it so much that when her parents asked if she'd like to see another show, she said yes. But she wanted to see My Fair Lady again, which she ended up seeing probably a dozen times. (laughs) Okay, so she's obsessive. This inspired her to become a Broadway singer. She pushed her parents to enroll her at Dwight School for Girls in Englewood, or Englewood, 
I think Englewood's in California. Yeah. Englewood, which was known for its classical music program. By age 14, Leslie was singing with a group who performed at, at Italian weddings, socials, and bat mitzvahs. Wanting to be more consistent in her singing ability, Leslie began searching for a vocal coach in New York and found Myron Earnhardt. After working with her for a bit, Myron wanted to get her into the studio to record some demos, but had to convince her parents to let her do it. Her parents weren't entirely unsupportive of Leslie, but they weren't sure this was the career path they wanted her to take because of stories they've heard about, you know, the the music industry. Sure. Well, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, and how old is she? 14 at this time. Right. So being like, oh, yeah, sure. Take my child to a recording studio. We'll make her a singer is not very solid for a career yeah, they they were definitely trying to watch out for her, but they also, I, I, I would say, cautiously supportive. Yeah, that makes sense. They wanted her to have like a solid backup plan. Like, this is cool if it works out. It's not likely to work out. So don't give up all of your shit for right. a music career at age 14. Like, you right. have your whole and life And she ahead took of you. that with her later yeah. on. We'll get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and plus her mom complained about having to cart her and her brother around all over the place and driving into the city every week was kind of off the table. Myron made a deal with her, uh, or with them. If they got Leslie over the George Washington bridge, he'd take her the rest of the way in, into the city. Uh, her brother, Michael says a family friend had told her parents that it'll never happen. Just let her get it out of her system or she'll never forgive you. One of those type of deals. Yeah. So that kind of convinced them. Uh, Leslie ended up recording a handful of songs, which she initially only played for family and friends. Well, I think it's funny, too, that they were like, ah, just let her do it. Like, she'll grow out of it type thing. Like, mom, it's not a phase. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do that with wrestling, and I really wanted to go to wrestling school. And my mom was like, no, <laughs> she wouldn't let me do it. And I was like, what are the odds? Like, what are the fucking chances I'll actually be a wrestler? But how cool right. would it have been if I was a pro wrestler right now instead of doing this podcast? Be awesome. How you really feel. <laughs> Just kidding. Wow. Thanks, Mom, yeah. I guess. It would have been really cool to be a pro wrestler, though, but whatever. So the <sighs> demo she recorded with her vocal coach found their way to the legendary Quincy Jones. Though he wasn't legendary at the time, he, like Leslie, was just starting out, and he became her record producer between 1963 and 1965. Quincy Jones pulled up to her house in a limo with some 200 songs Oof. to pick through and uh, to find something to record. And according to Leslie, It's My Party was the first one they listened to and ended up being the only one that she picked out. Yep. And in 1963, while she was just a junior in high school, she recorded her version of It's My Party. So you guys have probably heard this song. I feel like it's pretty well known even still. Yeah. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. Um, and then she says you would cry too if it happened to you. So this song tells the story of a teenage girl and her boyfriend, Johnny. It is the narrator's birthday and her scumbag boyfriend dips out to go cheat on her with that bitch Judy. Um, Judy's not actually a bitch. She's just another victim of Johnny's womanizing. (laughs) This guy's a piece of shit. (laughs) Anyways, the song was based on true events of a freelance songwriter, Seymour Gottlieb's daughter, Judy's Sweet 16. So Judy, the actual one, started crying because she didn't want them to invite her grandparents to her birthday party. (laughs) She's 16. (laughs) They're lame and old and dusty. Oh, my God. So this... Dusty. (laughs) Very dusty. (laughs) Just been sitting they on just their plastic couch goes, for poof. 10 years. Did you just say they fart and it goes poof? Yeah. They just dust everywhere. All right. Yeah, I mean, imagine it. It's, <laughs> it's a very visual um, thing. So this song in particular is one that Phil Spector decided that he would have the crystals record. 
Quincy Jones just conveniently did not mention that he had already done a version with Leslie. So when it came up that Spectre had also just recorded a version with the Crystals, Jones spent the entire evening making his own test pressing so that he could immediately mail it out in the following days. Oh which basically like beat him to the punch. Jones went out of... Uh, he went out of the country when the song was released, and then when he came back, he came back to the news that Leslie Gore's version had hit number one. But <laughs> there was also a thing here where he wanted to, he was like gone, and then when he came back, he was talking to the people from the label, and he was like, I think we should workshop the name a bit. Um, Gore yeah. is not really a great name for like a 16-year-old. We should maybe think of something else. And they were like, bruh, it's already number one. Nobody yeah. cares what her fucking name is. Yeah. Uh, what's funny is, according to Leslie, they had told her and her parents that the recordings they had made probably would never be released. After that chance running between Phil Spector and Quincy Jones, she recalls quite specifically hearing the song for the first time on the radio uh, a week after recording it. Awesome. She was riding home from school on Engel Street, two to three in the afternoon. It was Friday, April 6th, her mom's birthday. That's my dad's birthday. Cool. Happy birthday, Alex's dad, on April 6th. Clint! <laughs> uh, she thought someone else had recorded the song and uh, started singing along and didn't realize it was her recording till maybe about the second verse or so, but still what? pretty pretty mind-blowing. Okay. I guess that does make sense, because sometimes I hear myself on the radio and I'm like, who is that? <laughs> Yeah. Who's that dumb bitch? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, you figure she, she just recorded it a week early. She earlier, probably never so heard she, it. Yeah, she probably might not have even heard the recording. Or and the she, final. Suddenly she hears it on the radio. That's right. wild. That yeah. is so, like, surreal. Yeah, and when you when you listen to that song, you can tell it's layered. Like, she did different takes, and they put yeah. them all together to get her sound yeah, going. Yeah, and, like, back then, it's not like they just had Pro Tools or whatever where they could layer it up and be like, here, how, do you like how this sounds? Like, they had to act actively, like, produce it. Yeah. Right. Editing was a much Bitch. difficult, much more difficult deal back then. Yeah. But since we mentioned Phil Spector, I got a fun fact for you uh, Christmas nerds out there. Looking at you, Kathleen. Mm -hmm. Did you know that Weird Al <laughs> did a style parody of Phil Spector-produced Christmas what? songs? Oh, it's oh, called yeah. Christmas at Ground Zero and can be found on his 1986 album, Poke a Party. At this point, Gore is recording a ton of songs. She puts her own spin on the composer of Marvin Hamlish's first hit composition called Sunshine, Lollipops, and Rainbows. Yeah. While It's My Party was climbing the charts. Jones's dentist, um, Quincy Jones, his dentist was Marvin Hamlish's uncle. And Hamlish had asked his uncle to convey songs to Jones. So the dentist was like, hey, you should hook up this song. Sunshine, lollipops, yeah. and rainbows. <laughs> yep. And he did. Mm -hmm. That's a fucking, that dentist came in clutch. So <laughs> It's My Party had soared to number one, a nationwide hit, and became a certified gold record. Gore started gaining fans who would just show up to her front lawn to see her. Gross. <laughs> She's a child. No. She's a kid. <laughs> so, well, it's also early 60s and it's... Those people were fucking crazy. Those no, our they were. had boundaries. Our parents were not... You're right. They didn't know that boundaries were a thing back then. Yep. That's why, God, that's why things are so fucked up now. <laughs> Hamlish composes three more songs for Gore called California Nights. That's the way the ball bounces. That's and the way the cookie crumbles. One by one. Um, a journalist for Alma.com, Amy Selitsky, described Leslie perfectly as a performer at the time stating Leslie Gore came across as empathetic pulling her audience in as if comforting them from their self-pity or their boyfriend running off with another girl she played the role well angsty whiny and heartbroken she was a teen idol 
who was in the same boat as many of her teen fans. So she was Taylor Swift before Taylor Swift existed. Yeah. I think we mentioned it. She's probably one of the earliest teen idols, especially for women. Yeah. Um, she started receiving fan mail from girls all over the place uh, about their own pain and tragedies. Leslie kind of grew up in a bit of a bubble there in what she says, Pleasantville, USA. Wasn't really aware of this sort of outside world that was out there. And it, it really affected her reading this fan mail. She wanted to have more input into what song she was singing. But of course, she's still a, a teen girl and it's the 60s. Not an easy time to voice your opinion. Nope. Yeah. So she struggled quite a lot, especially being at the forefront of pop music like she was. She really was one of the first of the modern teen idols and a breakaway female solo artist at that. So she didn't have a role model to look up to to show her what to do at the time. Yeah, so, that is that is an interesting um, way to look at it. This is the very beginning. I mean, no one's going to listen to a 16-year-old girl in the music industry in the 60s, especially when she's one of the first right. of her age and gender to be breaking out like that. It's My Party does so well that its success boosts her career and that of Jones too, and he quickly becomes the first black VP at Mercury Records. Gore had many hits throughout her time as a recording artist. The follow-up to It's My Party was Judy's Turn to Cry, She's a Fool, and the feminist-themed You Don't Own Me, which sold millions and held strong at number two for weeks, right beneath The Beatles' I Want to Hold Your Hand. Nice. So if you've been on TikTok, there was a trending sound for a while. Um, it was You Don't Own Me, remixed by an artist called Say Grace, featuring g Easy, the rapper, um, and it was trending and using her song. I have not been on TikTok ever, and neither should anyone else. But <laughs> it's funny you mention this because uh, I have a station on Pandora I put on sometimes when I'm playing GTA, and it started playing the Candyland remix of that particular one that you yeah. mentioned made by Say Grace. It's actually really good. Um, so getting into the sequel, Judy's Turn to Cry, it's like a follow-up to It's My Party. And in mm -hmm. this one, the narrator steals Johnny back by making him jealous after she's like at uh, a party or like something and she kisses another dude and then he comes back to her and he ditches Judy. So basically, Johnny's <laughs> a piece of shit. Um, the song came out just two months after It's My Party. Two fucking months, which is a smart idea because it created this sort of like soap opera in song form that DJs would play back to back. So she's getting like double spins now. Yeah. So I'm not the only one that noticed that then, I guess. The only other pair of songs I can think of that get back to back play like that is Queens, We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions. You never hear those on the radio individually. Mm -hmm. No, I would never listen to that station yeah. again. If they only <laughs> yeah. played one. The sacrilege. Yeah. You, you can't do it. You have to play both of them. The only time I hear them not played sequentially is on like streaming platforms. And right. the first time it happened, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? Where's the other song at? You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so another one of that is uh, Soft Cell's Tainted Love and Where Did Our Love Go? Those always usually. Now they're pretty much just one file. I'm Those are the only think. ones I can think of. Yeah. Queen was a big one for me. So Gore goes Sorry, from. Sorry, hold on. I need <laughs> <laughs> Let me clear them up. <laughs> okay. Um, go ahead. <laughs> Gore goes from the sweet, sad young woman to an independent one with You Don't Own Me. Uh, the song changed the way the public viewed Leslie. It also changed the conversations that were surrounding women. It became an, an anthem of independence and feminist ideals, which obviously at the time, nobody wanted to hear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so obviously her first songs, like we said, were a certain sort of way. She's a teen girl and they're throwing her like the gimme songs about boys. You Don't Own Me caught her attention because of the strong lyrics. Leslie said once in an interview, for me, it was not a song about being a woman. It was a song about being a person and what was involved with that. Of course, it got picked up as an anthem for women, which makes me very proud. 
Now, ironically, this feminist anthem was written by a couple of dudes. Uh. But they were good. They were they were on the good side. They had the right idea. Their names were David White and John Madara. Um, they wrote the song. They were apparently disgusted by the songwriting for women in the 60s and how obsessive it was over guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they wanted to write one that was like a big old middle finger to men. Yeah. Fuck them. <laughs> uh, Madara had grown up in a pretty diverse area of Philadelphia and he had seen like his black friends getting beaten by the police and locked up um, whereas nothing ever happened to him and they were all doing the same shit. So he wanted to use his power as a songwriter to kind of stand up for some of the unfair systems that were in place. And in this case, it was mm. patriarchy. So her first album alone titled I'll Cry If I Want To actually has seven tracks titled in reference to crying or tears, which is, you know, relatable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't just me that noticed that. Also, it is interesting because she didn't write. It's not like she wrote these songs. No, she, she didn't. just sang them. But they, she picked, they got out, picked every, out for yeah, her. Yeah. I feel like they really typecast her. They're like, this is a whiny bitch. And well, it's just... it's the early manufactured pop. They're out to make money. That's what but it also, is. Also, if she was looking at the quality of how the song was written, those were the better songs. But it was all about women crying because that's all men right. were writing. Right. And that's <laughs> I mean, that that's what those songwriter dudes were saying. So she was only 18. And now she's the voice of angsty teen girls. So Homegirl was releasing hit after hit and was staying in at least the top 20 on the charts for most of her releases. She signed a contract with Mercury Records with a five-year term that carried her obligations to the company through the spring of 1968. In 65, Gore appeared in the movie Ski Party, where she sang during a bus scene. She also had a little cameo in a beach party theme film called The Girls on the Beach. In this, she performed three songs called Leave Me Alone, It's Gotta Be You, and I Don't Want to Be a Loser. She also appeared in a couple episodes of the original Batman as Catwoman's sidekick for a couple episodes. Uh, She was called Pussycat and performed the song California Nights on the show. That's fun. After high school, while she continued to make appearances as a singer, Gore went on to attend Sarah Lawrence College, where she studied British and American literature. Um, Sarah Lawrence is where Julia Stiles' character Cat was trying to apply in the beloved movie, an easy top 10 favorite of mine, 10 Things I Hate About You. Have you seen it? It's great. It's wonderful. I have you should seen watch it. it. Yeah. No, it's good. Jake. Not even once. Uh, okay. <laughs> Heath Ledger I don't think in I've there? ever even seen it previous. Baby Joseph Gordon-Levitt, are you kidding Speaking me? Speaking of Batman, isn't Heath Ledger in that show? Yeah, he's in there. And we just said some shit about Batman. It comes full circle. <laughs> While Gore was at Sarah Lawrence, she noticed a shift in genres like folk music that were considered chic, whereas pop music was uncool. Yeah. Yeah, according to Leslie in an article from The Village Voice dated April 14th, 1975, uh, People at Sarah Lawrence College were into stuff like folk and classical and not into the rock and roll world that she came from. And plus, she was already a personality, so she had some kind of issues fitting in while in college. Yeah. It was it was a lot different than the, the girls' high school that she went to because everybody was friends and they were in that rock group kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like your, your musical taste will also change once you go to college and it's like your horizons are expanded, man. Um, so it, it, I don't know. It kind of makes sense that she would be a little bit not cool, but, um, what's crazy too is like, this is the peak of Leslie's career and she was still in school full time. Um, so she would perform for concerts or TV on her days off from school saying it would be very foolish of me to leave school to go into such an unpredictable field on a full-time basis. True. Very smart. 
you know, she wanted options. She would only tour during the summer and holidays, and she absolutely loved spending weekends at school holed up in the library. With Cassie. <laughs> While she was in school, she got pretty involved in activism, first volunteering for Robert Kennedy's presidential campaign. Uh, Leslie says Robert Kennedy was the first person she recalls, <laughs> quote, learning a social conscience from having a desire to actually go out and help people and try to better this world mm. she worked on the campaign trail and performed at fundraisers and nobody said anything about bobert Kennedy. i laughed <laughs> oh, was yeah. i supposed to correct you no <laughs> we'll have to keep going i'm not going to correct you i literally call cassie's dog bobby that's not his fucking name <laughs> I call him booby it's oh, booby. On. i call everyone's dogs the wrong name and i call some people the wrong name too it's just i'm like that's how you assert dominance yeah, <laughs> yeah fuck you <laughs> How she shows she does not care what your actual name is. Yeah. It's very Ron Swanson-y yeah. of you. Also, very creepy side story. While in college, she had a stalker who would uh, call the college and actually get her on the school phone. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, he even showed up one day, and he was looking for her, and he got mad that he couldn't find her, and he started flipping tables in the cafeteria. Bro. Luckily, he got arrested. Yeah. That is so scary. Yeah. And that's also very early form of well it's stalking it's not an er, form of stalking <laughs> it's it's early stalking like Literally. very early example of stalking yes yeah before that was even i mean it's still like the laws surrounding stalking are very fucking right. lax at least he got arrested yeah. good you know yeah, that's, yeah well that's he, he was he was getting a little violent there so yeah flipping tables yeah they probably arrested him for destroying property not because he was stalking well and trespassing yeah, too, yeah trespassing like, he he's on a college be... property oh true yeah so Gore graduated from the college in 1968. Lots of shit going down in 1968. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Vietnam's happening. And just before she graduated, uh, Bobby Kennedy was killed. As we discussed, her contract with Mercury ended in the spring. Her last big hit had been a year ago because, well, college is hard, y'all. Uh, Mercury still sees promise in her as an artist and they want her to keep recording so they can have a hit. They offer her a year extension on her contract and she takes it. And she doesn't hold out either. She wants to do well. Not like artists we've talked about in the past where they're just like, I'm going to get over this and we're going to release garbage. She was like, yeah. no, I want good stuff. So her single, He Gives Me Love, La La La, rose to number 96 on the music business charts while just shy of the Billboard Hot 100. Mercury then takes out a full page ad in the trades to market the single, but it doesn't help. The airplay was spotty and it only becomes a hit in a few major markets. It's very different sound from her previous work too, if you ever listen to it. Yeah. If you're ever looking for the playlists for the podcast type in death by podcast team and it will pull up our user profile rather than our podcast profile so the user profile has Dope. all of the playlists on it you can subscribe there so gore is paired with some successful soul producers like kenny gamble leon huff and tom bell for two new singles that swing her out of the pop genre and mold her more into a soulful sound she releases I'll be standing by and take good care of my heart. The songs didn't get played because they didn't fit the image Mercury had already crafted for her. Then why pair her with those producers? I don't know. Weird. Um, so then her contract ends and, oh, she released 98.6 slash Lazy Day and Wedding Bell Blues. Neither charted well. Very different from her earlier stuff. So more like kind of light rock. 
1970, she signed with Crew Records and reunited with producer Bob Crew, who produced Gore's album California Nights. Now, despite how successful Leslie is at the time, she's still a female in the music industry. She was getting paid very little off of royalties from the hits she had, and she had very little to say about what direction her career was going in. She says she got about 16000 in royalties the first year as my party was out and didn't begin receiving royalties from Mercury again till what? 1989. It's probably in her contract. What the fuck? Yeah. It was one of the interviews I watched where they were talking about that and there was something where if they didn't dispute it within the first year oh those assholes they could yeah it's like hey keep if, the money yeah if you it was one of those hey if you don't catch us screwing you over within the first year then you're out of luck kind of a deal that's so mm. fucked up it yeah. is yeah oh the record God. industry is fucked i don't know about today i don't know if, i'm, I'm yeah, assuming no, they're better today still, but still bad i'm yeah. sure it's better but it's still not great. yeah uh, leslie says the early 70s was probably the most difficult for her trying to figure out what she should do stay in music or go back to school to be a lawyer or some other nonsense it, she really had a passion for music so she began studying it and writing songs of her own instead of getting that cherry picked stuff yeah, from that's, the 60s yeah, that's good. so trying to grow a little bit there uh 72 saw the album someplace else now with seven songs co-written with Ellen Weston. In 1975, her album Love Me By Name fell flat. People only wanted to hear her teen music from the previous decade. And unfortunately, I had a hard time finding much from this album. Someplace Else Now is on Spotify, but Love Me, uh, Love Me By Name is almost non-existent on current platforms with barely a handful of songs I could find posted on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it was also around this time in the early mid-70s that she had discovered that she was gay. Eureka! Yeah, it was shortly after college is when she says, so early 20s. Right. Anyways, on the note of people like not or only wanting to hear her teen stuff, by the early 1970s, there were like a ton of myths just going around about her, what had happened to her. Because um, she just kind of fell off of the map. So, like, some people said, oh, she's married and she has two kids. Some people were like, oh, she runs to her car every time yeah. her song is on and just listens to it over and over <laughs> again. Or, like, whatever. There were all these, like, things going around about her. But it wasn't because she wasn't trying to get her music out there. There was a 1975 article that Jake mentioned earlier where Leslie said, two years ago, nobody cared. People said I was dead and gone. I was hurt by it. But I felt if I was a has-been at age 26, then there was really only one thing I could do. Ellen and I had been writing for two years, but we did not know how to get our music heard. So we decided that the best way to do it was for me to present it. And we began to look for a place. Then everything mushroomed at once. Leslie had Quincy Jones hook her up with an agent and then started booking some shows again. So now she had come out as a woman going her own way. No longer your girlfriend in high school or the girl next door. Mm -hmm. In 1980, Gore composes songs for the soundtrack of the movie Fame, which earned her an Academy Award nomination for Out Here on My Own, which she wrote with her own brother, Michael. Michael ends up winning an Academy Award for the best original song for the film's theme song, also called Fame. Gore meets Bella Abzug, the first woman mentor in Leslie's life and leader in the women's rights movement who changes Gore's approach to activism. Gore says she kind of mentored me to what's important for women and where to put my energies in terms of gay women and what I could best do to help women in our community and children. And that's pretty much what I live by now, pretty much where I like to concentrate my efforts. You can only bite off so much, so you got to know what you want to do. Through the rest of the 80s and 90s, Gore continues to play concerts and appear in TV shows, even co-wrote a song called My Secret Love for the 1996 film Grace of My Heart. The film can what is that? Sorry. Are you <laughs> farting? No. <laughs> Cassie, stop talking about farts. 
I just feel vibrations on I the was, couch. It was my throat burp. Oh my god! I'm sorry. I, no, not I didn't. Her, not fart. her ass burp. <laughs> it wasn't an ass burp. It was a throat burp. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> we always every the whole time. couch vibrated. It's me. Okay. <laughs> uh, Jake, pay attention. She talks about farts every. This episode. film includes a subplot about a younger <laughs> singer named Kelly Porter who is based on Gore herself and is played by Bridget Fonda. But. Fonda ain't got a motor in the back of her Honda. I thought you said you were done writing. <laughs> Wait, what is that from? Baby, Baby got, got back. back. Sir Mix a lot. Uh, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> I thought you wrote that, but I it was know, Jake. Because I'm like, what is the next line of that? Fonda ain't got a motor in the back of her Honda. My, My Anaconda, Anaconda don't, don't want none unless you got <laughs> buns, <laughs> honey. You can do sad buns or sit-ups, but please don't lose that butt. <laughs> um, the character, who just so happens to be a closeted lesbian, performs the song in the film. Gore dated men and women while she was young, but her first serious relationship in her 20s confirmed for her that she was a lesbian. Yeah, she dated a guy and she was like, whoa, no, no, I no. Mean, yeah. I don't fucking think so. My, <laughs> I, my fucking don't want none anaconda okay you're, you're done you're done i don't know a word. okay in 2004 gore posted or no she hosted she posted on social in 2004 media. gore hosted several pbs series editions of the show in the life which focused on lgbtq plus issues gore at the time believed her family and friends understood her sexuality but she did not publicly come out until she hosted this series really that long to go public mm-hmm. yeah i mean 2004 people probably much more understanding and open than mid-70s people i suppose yeah uh, also now that i think about it the biography episode i watched was dated 2001 and they didn't even mention her being gay mm-hmm. at all yeah i mean so like their whole thing her and her partner which we'll get to in a little bit they weren't people who were like out there like yeah so she like didn't publicly come out but everybody who was in her circle kind of like knew and she was supporting these causes but she wasn't publicizing it basically she was doing her thing and living her life and there are some more quotes about that Mm -hmm. later so back to you yeah gore said it was just kind of my way of saying here i am this is what i feel i should be doing right now and it was sort of a natural evolution for me as opposed to you know this great gong in the head before this revelation it was easier for gore to let the public assume who she was rather than risk her career and her future yeah, I mean, you don't have to, like, you don't have to say it. You don't have to be like, hey, everybody, right. I'm Leslie Gore, and guess what? I'm a lesbian. Yeah, but what's crazy now is with, all, there's so much speculation with celebrities and people on the internet just talk and say, you know, that they know other people's sexualities. It's like, it's it's for them. It's not yeah. for you. I mean, I feel like back then it was kind of like that. So why would yeah. she go out there and overtly say this if it would be damaging to her career? Or potentially She's harmful. not denying it. She's not yeah. acting like she's not gay. She's right. just why it's she's just not even talking about it she's just doing her fucking songs Mm -hmm. so during an interview with the website after ellen gore stated she was a lesbian and had been in a relationship with lois sasson 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 since 1982 (laughs) sasson is a luxury jewelry designer and as well as a quiet force and advocate for gay and women's rights so lois sasson say it right sasson sasson (laughs) lois sasson oh that was beautiful was born Lois Diane Connor. <laughs> Why did you get Arnold Schwarzenegger? Because that's probably German. I don't fucking know. No. She was born Lois Diane Connor in April 1940 in New York to parents Sol and Helen. She was married to Raymond Sasson for a time, uh, which obviously ended in divorce. Her career as a jewelry designer started taking off in the 70s with some of her works uh, designed with Jeffrey Thomas, it displayed in art galleries and sold in stores like 
Bergdorf Goodman. That's a big one. According to Gore, she had known about her attraction to women at age 20, and while the music business was totally homophobic, she never felt that she had to pretend that she was straight. I just kind of lived my life naturally and did what I wanted to do, Gore said. I didn't avoid anything, and I didn't put it in anyone's face. During the beginning of the relationship, they generally kept it out of the news, but Sassoon had no reservations in showing her support for gay causes. Sassoon donated compassion cufflinks she designed in support of the Center for the Advancement of Women, donated 35% of jewelry sales from a benefit for women with a plastic anemia. She donated some money for orders that she had gotten from some lapel pins that depicted the AIDS ribbon, and that money went to Broadway Cares and Equity Fights AIDS, amongst others. Uh, Some of her designs include some bracelets that say sisterhood is global and visible and powerful. Yeah, so like the cool thing about... Sasson is that she wasn't <laughs> she wasn't just like a vocal person for gay rights and whatever like her her art did actually carry that message so if you look at her jewelry it has those messages on there and then she put her money where her mouth was and she took the proceeds and like donated those to mm-hmm. like AIDS charities and like LGBTQ charities that were helping people out so and this mm-hmm. is like in this is the 80s this is like the height of AIDS awareness mm-hmm. and shit so Anyways, I looked up her jewelry. It's actually really fucking cool. It's all statement pieces. There's nothing plain about any of it. In an article for Curve Magazine, Sasson said that she had first been considered a joke in the jewelry business. Uh, She said, as we became famous, they stopped laughing. We were making jewelry that said something about our art and our political times. I cannot separate art from politics. Our bracelets tell stories of struggle, peace, and love. Hmm. It's it's really cool stuff. Like, I don't wear jewelry. I'd fucking wear that stuff. (laughs) So in 2005, Gore records her first album in a long time called Ever Since. Producers and songwriter Blake Morgan is a co-writer on this album as well. The New York Times, Rolling Stone, Billboard, and other national press gave high praise to the album Ever Since, included a revised version of You Don't Own Me, which took out the loud backing track, which Gore says allowed her to wring more meaning from the lyrics. The song takes on a new meaning every time she sings it. Uh, Leslie headlined at She's Got the Power in 2011, which was a concert celebrating girl groups. In 2012, a rendition of You Don't Own Me was featured in a PSA endorsed by Gore that encouraged women to vote in support of the issues of reproductive rights, marriage equality, and equal pay. During 2014, and probably before that too, Gore was working on a memoir as well as a Broadway show based on her own life. Unfortunately, the memoir nor the show was able to be completed as Gore passed away of lung cancer in February of 2015. She was 68. Initially, she had gone to the doctor after experiencing back pain and following an extensive tour. The doctor ordered an MRI and revealed a tumor, and that tumor meant terminal lung cancer. So the the really interesting thing about this is that Leslie did not smoke. Mm. Sasson confirmed that fact after her death. According to H. Jack West, the founder of CancerGrace.org, 10 to 15% of lung cancer cases in America happen to non-smokers. And I think the figure was around 20,000 to 25,000 people, which is fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, secondhand smoke exposure radon and genetics can all play a contributing role in that. But it is likely that Leslie experienced a ton of secondhand smoke in her life, considering Mm -hmm. that people were allowed to smoke indoors for most of her career Mm. and life. I mean, when did that, that didn't get outlawed until like the two thousands. Right. Like, like I remember going to fucking golden corral as a kid and there was a smoking section. Yeah. Yeah, there was when I was a kid, it just seems so archaic now. So, I mean, it, it's not surprising really that 
she could get lung cancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially growing up in the 60s, everybody smoked, even if she didn't. Like, I would have assumed just listening to her interviews like that she might have been a smoker because yeah. her voice got kind of raspy there, you know, after the 60s hmm. with just her normal speaking voice. But that does come with, I mean, not that, I mean, she had a vocal coach, but like using that certain could chords happen. that could like yeah. just vocal strain if she didn't Maybe. rest but she yeah vocal cool. strain but know. interestingly enough um non-smokers or like never smokers who develop lung cancer are disproportionately female huh. it's like mostly females because of hormones and shit so that sucks <laughs> i saw a thing today that said that if you get pregnant while you're under high stress, you're most likely going to have a female because they can endure more of that stress-based thing. Because women the womb. fucking got it. Yes. We got it on <laughs> All right. So her New York Times obituary stated, with things like, it's my party, Judy's turn to cry, and the indelibly defiant 1964 single, You Don't Own Me, all recorded before she was 18, Gore made herself the voice of teenage girls aggrieved by fickle boyfriends moving quickly from tearful self-pity to fierce assertion. Gore and Sasson had been together for 33 years, but unfortunately Sasson passed away in April of 2021 at age 80 due to COVID-19. Yeah, so... Yeah, something different for us because um, I feel like, well, especially with the 27 Club stuff we did for Patreon and obviously the Black Metal Murders, this is like a different... Like lighthearted. More so. More so because it's not as fucking dark. I mean, she she died of natural causes, which the last one we probably did of that was um, David Bowie, who had cancer as well. Yeah. And then since then, it's been like a lot of overdoses and like really, really sad, really upsetting stories. Obviously, right. we're not like happy that she died. That fucking sucks. Right. But, but she did a lot. She impacted a lot. Yeah, she time. did a lot of good. And I feel like she lived a good, impactful mm-hmm. and fruitful life. We're proud of her. Yeah. So make sure you guys check out the playlist and stuff. And thank you for listening. We do have. So uh, I think the order of our episodes is going to be switched up. You may have heard us talk about in previous recordings what we're going to be doing. Well, guess what? We're not fucking doing it. We don't know. We're in charge, so we can just do whatever we want. <laughs> Next week might be, it might be Mozart. It might be Aretha Franklin. You'll just have to fucking wait and see. Who else are we working on? Are those the only ones we've got? Oh, Roki Erickson. So there are a handful that we've got working on that we have been working on and whichever one we finish first is going to be what you get next week so you're welcome yes um tell your friends about our show and make sure that you find us on facebook as well find our facebook group it's death by music podcast fans right jake right yes okay so i'll agree to that follow it (laughs) participate in it and also probably Rest in peace. Bye. Later. Bye, nerds. I still haven't bought new headphones. (laughs) I keep thinking about it. Music by Demons, at Demons Band on Instagram. Artwork by Mike Johnson. Writing and production by Cassie Gardner, Alex Motler, and Jake.